All right, folks, it's Ryan Carrillo, your host of the USA Powerlifting Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me today. He is on my Mount Rushmore of Powerlifting. Uh, Tony Harris, welcome. You're one of my favorite lifters. You are uh, a renaissance man, and I'm really excited to have you on here, share your story with the world, and and give you an opportunity to to share some of your knowledge, your history, and love of powerlifting with USA Powerlifting. How you doing? I'm doing great, brother. How you doing this morning? Thank you. I'm doing good. And and for those that don't know, Tony lives in uh, Hawaii. Uh, I'm in Phoenix, so it, it's nice and a little early there for him. But uh, how long have you been in Hawaii exactly? I've been here since August 26, 1988. So that'll put me at uh, what? about 30, right about 35, 33 years, somewhere up in there. And then, I mean, you never left, right? So you obviously love it there. (laughs) Something kept you there. Well, um, initially I got out of the military um, back in 92, because that's why I initially came to Hawaii. I was stationed here down at Schofield Barracks uh, for four years. Uh, Orders came up for me to uh, relocate to Fort Carson, Colorado during the heart of the winter. And I decided it wasn't happening, so I got out, uh, got off active duty, stayed in Hawaii, and joined the reserves. So I'm currently still in the reserves. I'll be, uh, I'll hit 39 years this year, come June. Um, uh, wow. CW four, so um, potentially up for a promotion board uh, actually this year. So we'll see how that goes. Freaking awesome! And you know, one thing that is in the ether and like hive mind of powerlifting, especially USA powerlifting is all the stories we've heard of, of your life, you know, being a reservist and having deployed and having to train and sometimes showing up to meets completely uh, untrained and still setting records and having an incredible performance. And I want to get to those stories. But before we do, I think uh, for a lot of the listeners, they're, they're young, they unfortunately may not have heard your name, which, you know, makes me want to be angry and smash shit if they don't know who Tony Harris is. But at one point in my life, I also didn't know who Tony Harris was. And here's my story. Okay, I was okay. training with Gene Bell down in San Antonio and his crew uh, when I was 18. And, um, you know, they all went to nationals. You know, I, w- I was just back in San Antonio training. And when they returned, uh, you know, they, they were talking all about their experience at nationals. And, and one of our, our guys had to compete against you. And so he was, you know, lamenting. The fact that Tony Harris showed up and, you know, it sucked because, you know, competing against you is just a hard time. And I'm like, who's Tony Harris? And it was like a record scratch in the gym. It was like, what'd you say, little man? I was like, uh, who's Tony Harris? And they're like, you go find that out yourself, son. Go look it up online. And so I did. And, and I learned all about uh, your history in the sport. And now I and I finally understood why they were frustrated they had to compete against you, you know, and for those that don't know, Tony goes back quite a bit. I think back to like 85 or 86 when you started. Uh, I actually did my first um, meet in high school that that would take me back until 1983 was my very first meet I've done. Wow. Um, and after graduating high school, I joined the military. So I kept training, but I didn't start peeing again until 90. I dabbed around with, you know, stuff in between but never actually got on a major platform yeah until 1990 and, so, and you were in your 20s i'm looking at open powerlifting you were 26 in 1990 yeah right around that point there yeah about 26 and you are still competing at 57 years old and that is 
that is inspiring. And that's the beauty of powerlifting when you do it the way that you've done it. It's sustainable. It's consistent long term. You've you've been in it since you were 26, you know, 31 years. That's amazing. And uh, we should just talk about your numbers briefly, because I think that's important. Uh, and we haven't done that before <laughs> on the pod. You know, our podcast has been very uh, focused on like the sport itself and growth and events and things. But like you're an athlete. We want to talk about uh, your lifts, of course, and you've squatted 910 pounds in single ply and you've deadlifted 793. That's that's just incredible. And I imagine in in training, you probably have squatted more than 910, right? Um, recently, uh, I guess in the last few years I have, I've gotten up to 925 in training. Wow. Um, and at that point, I was considering going back equipped, but, you know, it just it's so, so much more time consuming than raw, you know. Yeah. Just trying to get there, get in the gear, get a, acclimated to it again and whatnot. So it's kind of been put on hold. I mean, it's not a far distant thought, but it's just on hold at the moment. Just kind of see how things go. Yeah, I remember uh, you and I were talking. At, I remember you and I were talking a, a, a few nationals ago, and I was getting excited that you were putting the gear back on, and you kind of had that twinkle in your eye that, you know, a yeah. thousand pounds was on your <laughs> mind, which in the 120 class at the time, you know, we, we were – very hyped to see but you know such as life things play out it, it, it's on the shelf for now but hopefully we get you back uh the most incredible lift and this is on my my top five feats of strength ever this was at the arnold uh let's see it was at the arnold yeah, back in 2017. Yeah. yeah i remember so for those that haven't been to the arnold usa powerlifting has exposure in two areas we have c pod which is at the end of the convention hall and we're there all weekend long but for certain events, uh, we are on the big stage and Tony was on the big stage. And, and so I wasn't there, but the moment this lift happened, word spread quickly and everyone was talking about it in CPOD. Tony, you squatted 834 pounds raw, raw. as an M2. That's, that's like yeah. the big one, right? Like you're in your fifties and you're squatting yeah. 834 raw, which is, is just incredible. Can you tell us a bit about that lift, like leading up to it, how you felt? Like, was that the plan for the day or did you just take what you had? Actually, um, during training, I had never went past 804. I had did a double at 782 at one point early on in the cycle. And then I said, you know what? It's feeling good. Let's just see what 800 would feel like. So I got on 804. 804 felt pretty good. It was kind of a draining lift. So at that point, I just shut it down. Yeah. Um, heading into the actual meet, when I got there, the plan was we're going to hit around 810, 815 because I had never squatted. 800 raw in a meet and that was the plan wow. so after i took uh my opener and i was like you know what just put 804 in now let's just seal <laughs> that so if i miss it i got another shot at it and yeah. if not then we'll go from there so in the process of hitting 804 i came back and went to the scores table i was kind of dumbling around at the table like yeah where are you gonna go let's go 820 let's go and it might go hey dude dude Squat record is only like 833. You say you may as well go for it. I was like, well, I, I didn't train for that. I said, I, I knew what I was planning on doing. And he was like, come on, just, I said, you know what? Just put it in, do whatever you're going to do. And I walked away. So uh, it wasn't until I got called up to the platform that I knew what the bar was loaded at. Wow. So, you know, as the powers of be, you just go out there and do what you do and let it rip. Yeah, and you did it, 8.34. Uh, how did you feel after that? Oh, that was a uh, 
that was a great feeling. And just knowing like shortly after that meet was over and done with, Matt Sumner, who was over in Seapark, actually had tried to break that record as soon as I said it, and he missed. So, wow. and it was it was a kind of a good thing too, you know, to go back and look and uh, Dennis Cornelius was kind of watching it and he was all hyped up about it. So it gave him a newfound sense of like, hey, what, Tony got my record? Like, yeah, I'm going back <laughs> to get it. So yeah. thanks a lot, Dennis, you know, that's a good push for me, you know. Always a pleasure to watch him and compete with him because I get drive from the people that are actually winning the meets and, you know, that's where I get that push from. Yeah. And what's that like having to sustain that, you know, from when you're a young person and you're your twenties and you're constantly making these strength gains, uh, it's easy, right? It's easier to be motivated. And I, I say that from a personal place where, you know, I started at 18 through the age of like 27, things were going great. But the last three years, they, ha they have not been, you know, life happens, uh, responsibilities yeah. change, perspective changes, but you've managed to, to keep that uh, fire inside you and that motivation. Of course, it can ebb and flow over time, but you're hitting PRs as you get older. How, how have you maintained that inspiration and drive to, to succeed and lift more every time? I think a lot of that too is, is that, you know, you have to enjoy training. You know, you can't always go in there and train heavy, you know, because a lot of times, you know, the heavy training kind of beats you up and exhausts you. And there'll be points in time in training, you ask yourself like, man, why am I still doing this, you know? But oh yeah. If you're doing things that you enjoy and everything, and it's not always powerlifting, you know, we kind of dabble around with a little strongman stuff and, you know, just kind of get it off beat, change up the pace a little bit. But I mean, on a constant, we're not, well, I'm personally not uh, training heavy and I know the people that I'm actually training. So majority of the year we're training sub, you know, 80% just to get in there and get some work done. So when you got something in sight, you know, eight, 10 weeks out, you start to prepare for that. And then you dial everything in. So, you know, two to three meets a year for me is good. So you figure that would be probably three to four times a year that I actually go heavy. And the heaviest will be usually is that, you know, training at, uh, Actually, at the meet, I won't say training during the meet, but actually at the meet, because, you know, I hear a lot of people, you know, I do a PR and training, and I yep. said, that never happens for me, you know, I try to save everything for the platform. Exactly. Uh, that's really insightful. Uh, tell me a bit about your your training uh, leading up to uh, that 834. So you talked about a 783 double, you'd only touched 800, you know, at that time, that's the heaviest you've gone. How was that training any different from before that led you down that that path to that big rec, uh, record? It it really wasn't because again, you know, like coming into raw from equipped was like a totally different era for me when I came in. I think I did my first nationals in like 2014, and uh, at that point in time, it's like I had no clue of what I could do raw. I had yep. never pushed my body raw because you being an equipped guy, you know, at a yep. certain point hey I shut it down here I put my gear on now I'm making the gear do all the work that I needed to do to get that weight that I'm trying to get or whatever yeah. so uh, at that point there it was like okay let's just kind of see what your body can handle and you know and during working up during that cycle it was like the stresses were down so let's just push it you know you got the time to train work and kind of backed off a little bit you got the time to do everything you need to do so let's go with it so you know Having that and the support of my crew, you know, Al Fritz, uh, Austin Keanu, uh, William Carpell, 
you know, all these guys here, those were the ones who were pushing me, you know? And oh, yeah. it's like, the more I push them, the harder they push me, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. they always say that, you know, if you're not the strongest guy in the gym, you're in the wrong gym. Well, I don't believe in that because I believe it's your support people around you. They don't have to be stronger than you, but they have to have that motivation to see you succeed much as they want to succeed, you know? That's so big, Tony, and I'm glad you said that. Let's go down that path for a second because I've always been a part of training crews. Since I started, uh, you know, almost 13 years ago, I've never trained alone. I've never uh, been isolated. I've always had that group of people surrounding me in Texas, in Alaska, and in Arizona. Like, I've always had training partners who pushed me, who, who at times were stronger than me, uh, and helped me continue down that path we were all headed. But we're at a time now where most of the people discovering powerlifting don't know about that culture. They're not a part of it. They train at commercial gyms. Or if they do train at a strength gym, you know, they, they isolate themselves. They have their music in. They're, they're just a lone wolf. And I think they're all missing out on the most beautiful part of our sport. And that's the community and the combined lift that everyone experiences when you're next to those like-minded people. So talk, talk to me a bit about that element of powerlifting because you know it so well it yeah and, and like specifically to the young people who may be missing out on the the power of training with the training crew well the thing is too is like you know a lot of people hate on commercial gyms especially more so like a lot of the younger lifters now it's like they don't have that experience of a commercial gym but my first probably 10 years you know really powerlifting was done in a commercial gym um and basically at that point you have to get to know the people in the gym the management and just kind of let them know what you're up to what's going to be going on and either they're going to support you or not support you so if you got their support then you can go all out and do what you need to do um i was very fortunate during that time because i was training at a 24-hour fitness and i don't know if you remember old hogan he's a strong man yeah, of course uh so O was the one who really got me into the commercial gym thing so I trained at 24-hour fitness for, you know, six years alone, seven years or so before I actually went to a power gym. And then from that point on, it was like, okay, now we're in a power gym. Okay, I, I met my training partner, Al in Austin, I think back in 99, right around 99, 2000 time frame. And uh, we became a crew and we've been together ever since until recently, uh, November 1st, actually Al moved to Arizona. Um, oh, where so at? Just, I'm not sure what part of Arizona he's in, but I'll get back with you offline and I'll get you his information. All right, but, yeah, let me know. Yeah, so he's actually in Arizona, and I still have Austin and uh, Nalua here, you know, to get that push from. So, you know, the young people that don't understand is you can go a lot further, you know, just being in that environment and having people support you and not just be the lone wolf that's got your headset on and whatnot, you know? I mean, I come into my garage and train, I could play whatever music is playing on the radio and be totally cool with it. I don't have to have a headset on to block out any, you know, noises or anything going on around me. I can just say, hey, whatever the environment is, you just get in it and go. And I just adapt to wherever I'm at. So uh, for a lot of younger lifters, they need to really get around somebody who's really familiar with the sport. Um, not seeing the lone wolves ain't doing their thing. You got a lot of them out there that are really doing great, but you know, they really need to be around people and 
you know, from our culture back then, the thing was, it wasn't so much the meat. It was getting to the meat and hanging out with all the people you hadn't seen for the year or two years that didn't show up or so yeah. and just hang out, talk stories, go have a beer or whatever, you know? So, and then you, you know, you kind of forge those relationships there and they long-term and, you know, they're guys you known since you started that you always hang with. And a lot of them will be an influence later on in life that, you know, when you start having issues or you start moving into, you know, different categories of lifting, then those are some of the people you can reach out to. Because I know personally, I've reached out to Gene Bell and Eddie Cohen and the Steve Goggins is, you know, so those were the guys and the big names during my time when I was younger. And as they got older, you know, it's like, hey, I still reach out and I'll ask Gene a question or two, you know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's a huge piece of the, the pie here. And I, I've seen it develop over the years. So I remember uh, the first round nationals I went to was in 2012 in Colleen, and it was small. I mean, it was still new. There was maybe 200 lifters in uh, the powerlifting culture. I knew from when I started in 2009 really wasn't that long, but we only had 3000 members or so maybe 2300 in USA powerlifting at the time. And the way that the community worked was beautiful. You talked to each other, you networked, uh, just like you talked about, you were able to access some of these really incredible experienced veteran lifters. But as things have evolved over the years, uh, that has been lost. And one thing, one reason I was excited to have you on the podcast is so that you could talk about things like you just did. Uh, you have that perspective from the past that I think is really important and I don't want it to be lost in our sport and so i'm really curious what what your favorite parts of the sport are and what you wish the younger lifters would would try to keep promoting and i think for me personally one of those things is that strong sense of community you know hanging out after the meet like realizing there's more to life than just the the day of the meet and the total you're going to get i see all too often raw lifters uh, and I am calling out raw lifters because, you know, single ply, we're, we're, we're still part of that original culture, but raw lifters will show up to the meet, they'll train before the meet, and then they'll immediately leave and go train in the gym sometimes that night, and they miss the, the best part of the sport. So so I'm really curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, I, I see a lot of that, because I can tell you when I did my first, I think it was, no, it was, was it my first, I believe it was my first raw nationals. Um, I actually went into the weighing room and, and uh, <clears throat> you had a young raw lifter there who was asking for IDs and whatnot. And, you know, jokingly, Mike walked up to the guy and go, hey, you don't know who this is? He was like, no, I don't know who that is. He said, uh. dude, you missing out. He said, this is Tony Harris. So he was like, okay. So like, you know, and I, we just kind of laughed and chuckled. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I said, that's kind of that thing, you know, uh, a lot of young lifters now don't know because when I came up, you know, we had powerlifting USA. I got every subscription from the time that, you know, I really got into powerlifting and I read to find out who was who, what was going on, like what their numbers were, just those kind of things. And then when you finally get to meet them, you know, you get to sit down and talk to them much as you can about everything you can because they were that accessible, you know? Oh, yeah. yep. And they didn't, you know, it's like, you know, you know, like, so what's the secret to training? And I tell people, ain't no secret to training. The secret to training is you go train and you be consistent about your training and you'll be fine, you know? But everybody's looking for that secret for that one big lift. Oh, yeah. well, what is it? And, <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? Get in the gym and just train, you know? And when for a long, long time, right? Yeah. Train for a long time. 
Yeah. And it, it don't just happen overnight. You know, I can look back at my first, you know, my first high school meet as a 165. I think I squatted 500. This was raw back then. I just had on a belt, even no knee sleeves or anything. So uh, 365 bench and it was like 425 deadlift, you know. And then you start fast forward into like, okay, let's get back into this thing. You got the strength. You still been training. How does it go? You know, and it's like, oh, man, I suck, you know. But at that time, I was running, you know, 25 to 30 miles a week. So my training, Dang. I worked, you know, it's like I trained, but, you know, the actual work in the PT from the military, it was killing me, you know, the running. So my squat would not move at all. So when it finally, you know, I heard a, uh, I was actually reading something from Lewis Simmons from Westside, you know, about, you know, how the cardio is going to kill your squats and your lifts and it's, you know, you got to find a balance between the two. But, you know, I can't tell the military, hey, I don't want to run no more. You know, that's part of what your job is, yeah. too. So I was like, all right. So when they finally got a powerlifting team together, and I was like, okay, I'm going to put in my paperwork. They're going to let me on. So I got away from the running. So I still had to run twice a year, two miles, just to do my PT test, but my physical test, you know. But at that point, that's when I saw everything started to take off, you know. So as a 198er guy, I think my – Best squat was 793, uh, 451 bench, and 738 deadlift, you know. And then I jumped up, I moved into 220, you know, because I was always over when it was time to get into a weight class. So I always had to cut back down, you know. So at 220, I squatted, uh, what did I squat at 220? I squatted 788 at 220, uh, 479 bench, Ooh. and 782 deadlift. Uh, but I hurt my back at Nationals in Chicago, I think in 2000, what was that? That was in 2000. So that kind of put me on the back burner for a while. Uh, I was still able to train, but my chiropractor suggested I just move up to 242. And then, you know, 242 is where everything started to come to light for me, you know, because I squatted 859, I benched 523, and deadlifted 793 at that point, you know. and uh, and when they realigned the weight classes, it was like, oh, this is perfect. Now I don't have to drop weight at all because I'm sitting around 250, 255, and it was perfect. So when I squatted the 909, you know, after that meet, I got deployed. So um, really wanted to build upon that. But, you know, being deployed, I wasn't able to train the way I wanted to. And then I ended up getting hurt before I came back. So I had to taking a year off. Uh, completely from powerlifting, and then it was another year before I even competed. So I made my debut back at the Arnold in 2000, I think 2014, where I squatted 886, you know, as a uh, as an M1. So it's been good. Yes, it has quite a, quite a history there. I'm curious, what are the Three craziest lifts that you've seen in person over the years. I think there's some three stories. Three craziest lifts. What comes to mind? Uh, one of them has to be Brian Sider's bench. Um, I was doing oh. lift off for him at Nationals, and I think it was at 2006, 2009 time frame. Um, Sider's bench, seven, 771, I believe it was. Wow. And I remember him being a lift off guy. Handing the bar, I stepped off to the side. 
he came down and looked like the ball was stalled as he came up. And I anticipated the head ref command to go over there and get it, grab the ball. So I got up on the platform to get it, and the ball just flew up, and I just had to move my hand as the ball came up and got away from it. I was like, wow. So I was the fastest I'd ever seen that weight move during that time. You know, um, that's one. Um, another one would be probably raise 1,000, was it 64,080 squat at Round Nationals in 2016. Um, that was his first crazy, thousand. Crazy squat. That was his first thousand in 2016. Yeah. Okay. So crazy squat. And when yeah. you go back and look, you see a lot of guys that are doing it. They're doing it with these sleeves and whatnot, you know. And it was like yeah. to do it raw, it's like it was unheard of at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Still is quite a feat, but uh, well, so, yeah, I hear you. Definitely legendary. Um, and then so Ciders, Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I gotta say, Dave Rich, um, impressive mm. guy. I mean, he's still lifting in his sixties. Um, he's still posting, you know, squat videos at six hundred plus and whatnot. Um, it have to be his world record squat he did at the honor that year that I competed, two thousand seventeen. I think he squatted seven seventeen, and that was probably one of the cleanest squat I've seen Dave Rich squat. And I know you're listening, Dave, so. You know, take them squats down and get rid of them high squats and training. <laughs> high squatting Dave. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, Dave's a legend. But let's take a moment. We got to talk about those shoes, Tony. What the hell's going on with Dave's shoes? I know you know. Hey, man. I, talk to him about it. <laughs> I've been trying to get Dave to change shoes for probably as long as I've known Dave. Uh, I think he finally made the change and he went to some of the uh, – Shoes from Max Barbell, the deadlift shoe. He finally did the change, but he won't stay with it. He'll kind of, I like it, I like it, I, and then he'll go back. So, Dave, stay with the deadlift shoes the way you've been, and we'll be good to go. Get out of those, uh, what are those, Nikes or whatever it is, the, New Balance. The Nike Dad 13s, yeah. So, yeah. With the, with, the, with the socks and everything, he's got a good combo there, but. Dave, we love you. We're just giving you a hard time. And that, that's kind of part of his uh, his whole image, right? Is when Dave's deadlifting, you know he's going to rock those shoes and just bring down the house. Yeah. I can tell you one story. We were in uh, Austria, 2007. Dave always pulled raw. He never would put on a suit. So he missed his first two attempts on technicals. And it was coming up to his third. So I went up to Sherman. And I was like, look, Sherman. Tell the guy to put on a suit. He don't have to put on a tight suit. Just put on a suit. So I'm going to give him a little support in the bottom. So when the bar comes up, he won't get that little hitching he got going on. It'll fly right up. And sure enough, he yep. ripped that bar up. And I think he did end up coming in. I want to say he came in third place at that meet. And wow. kept him beat. So uh, between myself and Greg Page, yeah, we're always on that guy by the shoes. Of, you know, <laughs> one low. Ain't that right, Greg? <laughs> Of course, Greg's laughing right now, listening to this. Well, let's do one more story time. That's I, I want to hear more. What What are some of your favorite experiences in the sport? You know, just pick one that comes to mind. Um, really, it was like back during the quip time was going to the banquets. Yeah. Where everybody stayed. You know, nobody decided they were going to lead the meet. Everybody would stay to go to the banquet, really sit back, have a beer, and enjoy each other. 
Now, my probably my best one was probably in Japan when I got hurt. Um, uh, for a lot of people that don't know, 2000 at World Championship, I herniated uh, L4, L5, S1. Uh, it was so bad that um, I actually shouldn't have even been competing. I should have stopped competing after I did my second attempt squat. So I went out and attempted a third, and the bar was on my back just shaking after I got the uh, squat command that I couldn't even move. My body just started vibrating, and they finally had to grab me, and my body just collapsed. So uh, Doc Bernie helped me in the back to get through the bench, just told me to put my feet flat, don't arch, don't do anything. It's the only way you're going to get through this. So it's like, okay, we do that. And I got through the bench, and I came out the deadlift. Uh, my last warm-up. I think it was at 6.06, and it moved super, super slow. Um, they was like, drop your deadlift, and let's keep around 6 and not make the move you want to make because I was opening up at 7.38, and I was like, no. I was competing against the Russian at the time, and I already had second locked up, but I knew at that point he had never out deadlifted me. So I was like, I'm not giving up the opportunity to hurt or not. You know, it's going to be all in or all out. So we left it at 7.38, and I went out there, the first one, the bar barely came off the floor, conventional, probably about four inches. Oh. And I was like, oh, this ain't, this ain't good. So I limped away, came back, and I figured I'd try sumo. Anyway, you never pull sumo in your life. <laughs> uh, so the bar just flexed, and you know, once the bar flexed, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders at the crowd, and then I was like, <gasps> Oh, so now they're looking over at my wife like, what's wrong with him? You know, you know, he's, that's not him, you know. I'm like, well, it is what it is. So I actually changed, put on a tighter suit and said, I'm going to get this thing in hell and high water. So I ripped yep. the bar up off the floor in the third attempt. The bar shot up into my knees and my back just immediately shut down. Oh. I, you know, so at that point, I walked off in that position right there. I couldn't even drop, you know, couldn't even put the weight down. I just had to drop from that position. And I walked off, uh, flew back from uh, Japan in pain, straight to the hospital for them to tell me L4, L5, S1. Um, and uh, my doctor was like, well, I think you're done. This powerlifting stuff is over with, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm -hmm. no, you just get me better and then we'll decide, I'll decide when it's over. You yep. just get me better and we'll see what we're going to do, you know. And uh, I'm still here, so. Hell yeah, you are. Oh, quite a story getting injured during a meet is never easy and being injured is never ever an easy journey for power lifters but when you do it long enough we all go through it what was the recovery like after that how many years um, until you it felt actually didn't take years i think um you know for me like i tell everybody you're gonna have that defining moment in your powerlifting career and hopefully a lot of them you know i actually hope people don't have one but when you do, that's going to be that factor of you. Am I going to continue to do this stuff or I'm just going to leave it alone and just call it quits? Um, after talking to my doctor, so they got me set up with physical therapy and whatnot to, yeah. you know, try and remedy the problem. And it was a slow process. So this happened in November of 2000, um, January of 2000. I'm still barely able to walk. So I sleep on the floor with my feet up on my couch because I can't sleep in a bed because every time the bed moves, my body hurts. Um, so I went to work one day and I just uh, 
told them, like, you know, I need to be on light duty. I can't. They was like, no problem. We got you covered. So there was a chiropractor convention going on. And the chiropractor, his name was Master Maxis, rest in peace. Uh, greatest guy I knew for his chiropractors. Um, he's the one who got me back. So he's like, uh, I tell you what, let's talk. Come by my office, bring me your MRIs, x-rays, whatever you got. And then we can assess this thing. I'm like, okay. So I got there that Monday. He's like, I can fix you. I was like, what? He said, I can fix you. And uh, you can do what you want to do. He said, I'm not sure how good you're going to be at it, but I can fix you. But if you stay good, you know, do the things I tell you to do, then you shouldn't have any problem. Like, okay. So, you know, he got there. He had me coming in a couple times a week doing different things and put me on a traction machines, tens, unit, different type of stretches, manipulating stuff. And um, what was it? April, May, May of 2001. He said, I think you're okay to go and at least try to squat. I'm like, are you serious? He was like, yeah. Wow. So I started to squat the bar and I was like, yeah, it's okay. But I had a mean shift to the right because of that left side. Yep. And I told him, I was like, this ain't working out too good because it's like I squat down in the hole, but I'm coming up completely right side dominant. Left side is not even activated. So at that point, he was like, okay, we're going to start performing just single leg stuff. You're going to work this side of the body on this day, and then you're going to work the other side of the whole body on the rest of the days. I'm like, okay. So that plan actually worked out. So now we're going to fast forward until July of 2001. And I go and compete at Raw, I mean, uh, compete at Equip Nationals. And a um, few people tried to convince me not to go because I wasn't ready. And I was like, well, I talked to the doctor. He said, I'm good to go. <laughs> so I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah, and you want to uh, do it. So, yeah. So I went there and I think I squatted seven, 7.44. But it was probably the slowest squat in the history of powerlifting. And... If you ask Alex Gallant, he'll tell you because he was the head referee because the spotters were reaching in to grab me. He got out of his chair and on one knee and said, don't touch him. As long as he's moving, let him move. Wow. It was but that slow. Like, they were having this conversation in real time, huh? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like at this time, I don't hear anything. I just see his hand movements, you know. And like I said, the slowest squad in history. So by the time I stood up and they said rack, I could barely take a step. And it was kind of glad because the spotter just grabbed the bar. And once they racked it, I was just hanging onto the bar down on my knees on, you know, <laughs> on the platform. And it was like, oh my God, like that is just crazy. Um, I won nationals that year. It wasn't a great win or whatever, but you know, I said, I'll take everything the way it is. So within a year, I was squatting what I actually hurt myself with. And uh, from there, just been going uphill. So, you know, I always try to tell people just because you got hurt doesn't mean you have to stop training. It doesn't mean yep. you have to stop competing. You just got to find somebody who knows how to treat your symptoms and get you better so you can continue down that path if that's what you choose to do. And a lot of them once, you know, a lot of people hurt their back. It's like they just shut down and they're done. They don't want to deal with it anymore. So, yep. yeah. Great advice. Great story. I have a, we're, we're making good time. I have a few more questions. Um, a few fun ones. Uh, I want to know how and when did you meet Grant Higa and, and tell us a bit about that friendship because you know we all see it we see the, the brotherhood 
Let's hear a bit about you and Grant's history. Okay, I met Grant. Grant was a 242. Um, we were at a powerlifting meet. I want to say it was in Kona. Uh, and that was the very first time I met Grant, you know. So for Grant at that time, it was like, you know, hey, Tony's the Hawaii guy. You know, everybody knows Tony, blah, blah, blah. He's the strongest guy, you know. He's out deadlifting all the super heavyweights and blah, blah. So when he and I met, it was like an instant connection. And, you know, everything you see now, you know, from that point going forward, it's like people like, man, you guys are always together, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, whenever I get a chance to make a trip to, you know, Washington at any point in time for the military or just there, you know, I always make it a point to go and visit him, see the family and get there and we go train, at least do get a one or two training sessions in or something, you know. Um, it was just this year, matter of fact, actually last month in December when we did the Master Pro, that was a great opportunity for us to actually compete on a platform against each other at the same time, you know, because okay. that has never happened. Um, the genuine guy, uh, Grant is originally from Hilo, Hawaii, so he has that connection here. Um, and he's always been a part of, you know, the Mana team, Team Hawaii. Whenever we have a team that goes international, he's always a part of that team, you know. Um, I can't say enough about the guy. I mean, he's been a great friend all these years, and it's it's a wonderful thing, you know. Heck yeah, and he's, he's a great ambassador for the sport, uh, as, as you are, and it's just great to see such long-term friendship and camaraderie, you know. Yes, I mean, it just is, it's amazing. Um, he's one of those guys that he'd give you a shirt off his back if that's what you needed to keep you warm and he would be cold. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's that genuine. So, hats off to Grant Heger. Um, love you, brother. Heck yeah, Grant. We love you at USA Powerlifting. So there's another thing I want to talk about. And anyone who watches uh, stories or posts on Instagram has seen this in the past. Tell us what the hell an Oprah sandwich is. A what? An Oprah sandwich. The maple bar oh. sandwich. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> that's... <laughs> you have me going there for a while. Um, so basically what that is, is a... Uh, it's a maple coated donut with bacon on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, this this thing is the bomb. This is power lifter food. Um, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of a long john. Uh, I went to this place, Legendary Donuts, over there in uh, Tacoma, and uh, I was like, I gotta have this thing because I said I, I want to go and try something. You know, they were like, what? So I take it. And I slice it in half, and then I fillet it open. So then I break out everything, you know, the ham, the cheese, the tomatoes, the whole works, you know, dress it up, throw mayo on it. And, you know, my guys on the boat were looking at me like, it's a donut. You got to put mayo on it? Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> like, you got to try it, you know. So I set it all up, and then I started chopping into it, and everybody's like, uh, I don't think I want to try that. I'm like, no, you really got to try it. It may not look as good as uh, you think it is, but you got to try it. And I tell you, once everybody bit into them, they were like, oh, oh, wow, dude, this thing is the bomb, you know? So 
for anybody that hasn't tried one, it's worthy of it, you know. Just get you that nice long john with the maple coating on top, some bacon, and uh, you're good to go. Thanks, Legendary Donuts. <laughs> legendary Donuts. Tony Harris sandwich. I don't know where I got the Oprah sandwich from. I guess a friend had mentioned it to me. Is is that the name for it or no? Actually, That's... it's called an Oprah bar inside the store. Oprah bar. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So by being that's where the Oprah name came from. It was an Oprah bar, you know, Oprah they got bar a name different people. Made it into that. a sandwich. And yeah. That's how you stay big and strong, folks. If you're a hard gainer listening to this and you just can't gain <laughs> enough weight, get yourself along, John. Cut that some bitch open, throw some mayo on it, and you'll be okay. <laughs> that's what I'm it's talking bomb, about. Man. It's the bomb. That is all right. I want to end this uh, for a little bit of our masters folks out there and really all of us powerlifters, wherever we're at on our journey, you know, age is part of the equation, especially as natural athletes. And I'm curious, Tony, what's been the best part about getting older? Uh, well, number one is <clears throat> you're never too old to get strong and you never stop learning as you get older. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, I try to tell people all the time is you're going to make gains. It just depends on how you treat your body going into these training cycles is when you're going to make those gains. So now you got a lot of young lifters out there who, you know, they running, like you said, they get down with the meat, they in the gym that night or the next day going heavy because they miss something. And it's like, Oh, see how it is. It is. It's like at some point <clears throat> when your body says I've had enough, it's going to shut you down. And not in a bad way, just the weights are going to feel heavier than normal. You're not going to be able to move the same amount of weight easy as you did before. And, you know, when you start seeing those signs and they happen to you, you know, don't get frustrated because as you get older, it happens. You know, I have a training partner who's, he'll be 61 this year. He just squatted 722 raw. And uh, wow. uh, his name is Austin Keanu. He just, like I said, 60 years old, be 61 in, I think, July, July, August time frame, you know, um, and he's a 275 guy. <clears throat> and then you got Al Fritz, who our training partner moved to Arizona. I mean, he squatted right at 700 raw, and Al is 50, I want to say like 52, 53. So um, I like training with everyone because i also train with some younger lifters and uh it's just that what i try to teach them is you know that why we ain't going heaven why i want to go heaven i was like <clears throat> there's a method to the madness of why you doing what you're doing now because if you want to be doing this 20 years down the line then this is the path i took you can veer off the path much as you would like but i suggest you stay within the realm of this range, you know what I mean? So if you want to do it for long term, <clears throat> it's going to take some time and thought process to figure it all out because they don't just happen. You know, um, Dave Ricks then all of a sudden decide, hey, I'm going to start, you know, Dave Ricks been doing this for 40 years. And then for like all the master lifters that are coming out now, I said, that's great. I love to see that. I love to see that people are getting out and moving more and doing things, you know, and see that just because you lift weights when you're older, you know, it only makes life better, you know, it makes it a little easy to get yeah. to move around, get up off of that chair, you know, and not just that sedentary lifestyle, you know, 
So, yeah, it's, it's a recipe for longevity and a happier, healthy life. Uh, yeah. So on the opposite end, what's been what's been a hard part about getting older? Um, the frustration of not being able to do the things that you used to do, you know, as easily or as comfortable as you did them. Now it requires a little bit more work, you know, a little bit more attention, a little bit more planning, it, all of those things, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we know that's part of the life process. So you try and adapt as you moving forward, as you're getting older. So if you're not thinking about it, which a lot of people tell you, I'm not thinking about getting old. It just, you wake up and then it's like, wow, man, I'm 57. I'll be 58 years old this year. It's like, yeah. Do you think about that? I'm like, no, I don't think about it. But when people say age, it, it reminds me like, wow, I am that old. So like, where did the time go? You know, I mean, yeah. I can look back at all the meets and things I've done and say, you know what? I'm happy with it. You know, powerlifting has been great. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing about it other than the fact that, you know, the few meets that I got hurt, you know, I got hurt at Worlds in 03. I blew my quad. I got hurt at Nationals and. 06 where I blew my other quad. Um, but other than that, you know, aside from the injuries, it's been great. Um, the younger kids, you know, younger lifters keep me on my on my toes because, you know, you always got that challenge because, well, that's Tony Harris. And if I beat him, um, it don't matter how win or not, but I beat Tony, so I did great. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that's a factor. Well. Tony, thank you for joining us. Do you have any other parting thoughts for the for everyone out there listening? For everyone out there listening, I want y'all to have a wonderful weekend, um, first off. And at the same time, you know, keep yourself safe during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, and be smart about getting out and going about, you know, protect yourself, protect your friends, protect your family. Uh, let's uh, try to halt this spread because you know nationals is coming up the Arnold is coming up and we're going to be a lot of people and a lot you know a lot of people yeah really close to each other so let's do our part to help stop this thing yeah let's let's take care of each other and have each other's backs for sure well thank you again tony for joining us i'm sure we'll talk again on this pod in the future when we have more stories to share uh i will see you at the arnold along with at many other arnold. people listening we'll see you at the arnold in columbus ohio in early march we're really excited for that uh, thanks again, Tony, and for everyone listening, thanks for listening, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Aloha. Aloha.